This is episode 19 with the founder of mental health and suicide prevention charity, Mark Boynes. Welcome to the Process of Success podcast. My name is Tom Scolle. I'm a former professional cricketer with Middlesex County Cricket Club and the founder of Cricket Mentoring, an online cricket community that helps cricketers become their best. I created this podcast to share the personal stories, lessons and beliefs of cricketers of various ages and stages of success. Whether it's a retired test great, some in the middle of their professional career or a young gun with big aspirations, I think there's so much power in each and every person's story and the lessons they've learned along the way that's got them to where they are. While I hope you enjoy listening to the interviews, I also hope you learn something from them to help you achieve great things both on and off the cricket field. Thanks a lot for listening. Now let's get into this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by our digital academy, The Members Pavilion. Having spent the past few years interacting with cricketers all over the world and hearing their struggles, we know what people are wanting and needing to learn to perform at their best consistently and have put it all in one place. The Members Pavilion is your one-stop place to find content on every aspect of cricket, including all the skills, batting, fast bowling, off-spin, leg spin, wicket-keeping and fielding, as well as fitness, mindset and insights from some of the world's best players. The Members Pavilion houses all of our premium content and it's also where our community can interact and learn from each other and other like-minded cricketers from all over the world. So for more information or to become a member now, head to our website, cricketmentoring.com forward slash online dash cricket dash academy. I hope to see you inside soon, legend. G'day legends, welcome to this episode of The Process of Success. This episode, which was recorded a few months ago while I was in the UK, is with a guy some of you may have heard of, but many will not have. You may, however, have heard of the organisation he founded and runs, Opening Up Cricket. Mark started opening up in 2014 after his cricket club was hit with the tragedy of the passing of his good mate, Alex, who took his own life. Since then, Mark has been on a campaign to raise awareness for mental health issues and suicide prevention and travels around the world teaching people how every single person can improve their mental fitness, which is something that aligns with our message as coaches and mentors to our athletes. As the name suggests, Mark and his now team of speakers travel around the UK and more recently Australia and New Zealand, encouraging and supporting cricketers to open up and talk to someone if they are struggling with their mental health. Opening Up has won the support of many of England's best cricketers who love the message it shares. In this episode we discussed how the best teams and people in sport communicate well and why it's important to do that on a number of levels. How mental health exists on a continuum with good mental health on one end and bad mental health on the other. What people can do to improve their mental conditioning to improve their performance. How to notice a decline of your own mental health or someone else around you. How to be a good listener to someone who has confided in you. How Mark suffered his own mental health issues and how he's worked to overcome them. What gratitude is and how you can practice it and how it rewires your brain to look for the positive in things. Plus a whole lot more. This is a different chat to many of the others we've published previously but there are so many great things that you can learn from it and implement into your life and help with others around you. 
Mark is a very clever guy who is changing people's lives around the world. So I'm thrilled to have sat down with him and heard more about his story. So let's get into this episode. G'day guys, and welcome to this episode of The Process of Success. I'm here today with Mark Boynes, who's the founder of mental health organization, Opening Up. Mark, thanks very much for joining me. Pleasure. Now, for those who might not know what Opening Up is and what it's about, can you give people an insight into what your organization does? Yeah, we promote mental well-being and suicide prevention through cricket. So we've done that since 2014, and we do that through a variety of, of ways in the UK at the moment, but looking to spread as far and as wide as possible. Yeah, and I know that you've got um, cricketers and athletes who are getting the opening up shirts and bat stickers, and it is becoming a global brand as well. So you've got athletes in Australia who are supporting it as well? Yeah, we've uh, we've got a, a few guys in Australia. We've had principally people in the, the UK, but picking up support from across the cricketing world, which hopefully once people start to see what the message is, they get behind it and it just snowballs from there. Awesome. And now, why did you start opening up? Well, I started it um, on the back of a, a tragic experience at my own cricket club in, in Liverpool where we lost a friend and teammate, a guy called Alex Miller, to suicide. So in response to that, there was a lot of things going on where people were trying to piece things together and work out what happened and why, and principally what we could do to avoid that happening in the future. So we settled on the idea of trying to reach people through the sport that he loved the most and show that cricket has a lot of the benefits and in some ways answers to some of the problems that go on, but mainly to use it as a route to reach people directly with a message that they might avoid otherwise. And obviously the name, opening up, is uh, has a double meaning. Obviously as a, as a cricketing term, as a batter, you open the innings, you open up, um, but in a deeper sense, in a human sense, it's about speaking. Yeah. And that's one of your, your catchphrases, it's not weak to speak? Yeah. Yeah, so we we use that as a as a tagline to say on on the two levels that we look at. One, it's not weak to speak if you've got a problem, if there's something that's bothering you that needs attention. But also at the other end of it, we think about the best teams and the conversations that you've had with various players and coaches and so on. The best people in sport communicate well, so we're trying to tap into that and saying it's good to talk on a number of different levels. Yeah, awesome. Now. Mental health sometimes can have a stigma around it, but I think in recent years it's becoming more and more accepted or open and people talk about mental health more and more. It obviously still has a long way to go and, and that stigma needs to be broken, but what is mental health? Yeah, that's often something which people, when they talk about it, will assume they know what it is and the conversation a lot is still around the, the negative end of it, when in fact mental health exists on a continuum where you can have good mental health, bad mental health and anywhere in between and in fact most people like with their physical health there will be somewhere in between but I think the simplest and best way of defining mental health is to describe it as your, your condition of how you, you are emotionally, how you deal with situations, how you respond to them and how you deal with the good and the bad in your life. Absolutely, and I've found it really interesting to the last few days, Mark and I have been traveling around the UK doing some talks together on mental peak performance, and a lot of our um, messages cross over, um, but I've found it really interesting about your continuum, your line of continuum, and, and when you think about it with your physical health, you often might have a few little niggles and a few little injuries, and you sort of aren't quite as fit 
as when you're feeling really good and really fresh and, and you're up this end of it. And that's obviously the same with your mental health. Yeah, people will be really good at, say, understanding what makes them operate at peak performance physically. They'd look at avoiding certain things. They might look at different training routines. And it's exactly the same with mental fitness as well. People can do things which embed really good processes or can insulate them to some extent from problems and help them deal with them better so that in a sport like cricket where decision making's king you've got the ability to have the the tools to operate at the kind of level you want to absolutely now for for these for our viewers um, who might not know much about mental health how do you spot a decline in your own mental health or someone else close to you yeah a lot of the time the the signs and the symptoms will be things which are centered around any big changes so no one needs to be going away and happen to be an expert on it and, and spotting clinical things. Uh, big changes such as uh, changes in appetite or sleep will often be a couple of indicators that something's not quite right. Um, also, if people are, are starting to lose interest in things that they usually would be really keen on um, and withdrawing from those kind of situations. Because it's your mind, if there's things like a lack of concentration in some cases, perhaps people finding it difficult to actually get their words out and communicate in the same sort of ways. Um, along with maybe resorting to things to kind of self-medicate where people might hit the booze a bit more or be taking, um, taking risks with drugs and certain behaviours. So I'd say to anyone that to spot within yourself there'd be particularly a continuous low mood. Um, maybe thoughts that are quite intrusive, ones which you think to yourself afterwards, I didn't want to think that, but I was. Um, but for others, it's spotting those big changes and how people might not be like they usually are. And a doctor would then be able to go through what exactly that means, but as good teammates or coaches or friends, we can spot that within people that we see regularly. Absolutely. Now, what is the best thing to do or advice to give someone who's told you they are struggling with their mental health? Yeah. First of all, the fact that they would have confided in you and spoken to you about it is some is a great first step um, and the process there really is to continue the talking um, in the UK we've got the the NHS and other parts of the world we've got a similar um, medical care that's available the doctor is there just as much for your mental health as they are your physical health and they'll be able to point towards the appropriate services but if someone is a little bit reluctant to engage with that straight away then there's lots of things available in terms of talking but again to someone who might be a bit more detached from it and professionally can take on that load because often what we'd get is if say someone was, was speaking to me and said they've got this issue and so on you want to help your friend you really do but you've got to remember that if they're piling all that onto you that's a difficult thing to deal with as well so to get someone towards the professional help is the most important thing again drawing a parallel with physical health if someone was talking about an injury that they had there you'd certainly want to help and you do what you can in the short term but you wouldn't be expected you or I to treat a back injury or a shoulder injury would be getting towards the medical assistance absolutely but something that I've learned through my own um, understanding of mental health is being a good listener is incredibly important isn't it yeah uh, and a couple of tips actually I give on that is yeah if if, if someone's spoken to you has, has opened up the conversation about mental health then the best way to listen, and apologies if this sounds a little bit like telling people do the obvious, is to just do that. Not to try and find solutions, not to try and give them 
an immediate answer because often this will be the first time that they put it into words and they just want to get it off their chest and release it. So people being non-judgmental, taking it and perhaps offering verbal verbal um, cues to be able to say things like, yeah, okay, I understand. And a great thing to do at the end of a conversation like that is to summarise, to check that you've understood what they've said and that person then realises you have actually been listening rather than just paying lip service to it. Um, another one would be if there is someone has spotted some of those signs or, or a difference or a change in someone close to them and they might broach the subject and ask them uh, if everything's okay and if they want to talk about it, often people will say everything's fine and they don't want to talk about it, they're not quite ready. The key there is to keep the, the conversation as an option for them and say, well okay, um, I'm not going to pressure you but please know that you can speak to me in the future and we found that a lot with different examples where someone might not want to that particular instance but then later on will know that person someone they can trust and they will open up to them later on absolutely now we've talked about the line of sort of a continuum from really good optimal mental health to, to low mental health what is the difference I suppose between feeling down and maybe feeling down for a little while and actually potentially having a mental illness? Yeah, I'd say it would be for people to understand that um, the, the length of time that something uh, occurs over. So it's, it's natural, it's, it's actually expected, and it's probably a good thing in our lives that we don't just have all good, and we have these dips and we have challenges that we deal with, because then when we come out the other side, we appreciate what we've got more. But I would say the difference between a, a low patch and then something which is more pronounced moving on to an illness would be the length of time that it happens and if there's symptoms that emerge around just that, that dip or that low mood. So some of those things I mentioned earlier, if they're occurring at the same time over a period of time, say a week or, or a couple of weeks or longer, then that would be worth someone then be looking towards getting that assistance. That said, if someone was displaying, um, displaying symptoms or signs of just having a low mood or going through a bad period, then that's of course something that they want to speak about because we talk a lot about mental illness and when we talk about the real tragic instances of people taking their own lives, for the most part that will be someone who's had an interaction with a mental illness or something that can be diagnosed or has been diagnosed. But equally, sometimes people's decision making when it's off because their health isn't quite good, even without something that's a, a diagnosed disorder, will, will, will end up meeting that end. So we've got to say that the conversation should exist irrespective of whether there's an illness involved or not. Absolutely, and the more there is a conversation, the more people feel they can open up. Um, now, a little bit more on yourself and your story. You're a cricketer yourself. You're still playing in the Liverpool League. Um, but you also have had your own struggles, and, and you sort of are doing this because of Alex's story, but it's also something that's quite close to you. Yeah, so I, I played cricket with Alex, and he was uh, someone who put an incredible amount of time into his game. For me, um, probably in contrast to the, the people you usually interview, cricket for me is 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 a hobby. It's a it's something for recreation and uh, something that I, I've had limited success at. If we put it that way over the years, but um, for me, yeah, I set it up because of Alex. But the reason, one of the reasons why I was such good friends with him is because he was someone that I could talk to about my own mental illness and something which even when I was uh, running this campaign or organisation. I've not spoken enough about um, and I've had the, the, the point in my life where I was very close to, to doing what Alex did and I've had some times even since then in, in the intervening years where things have got really bad but what I noticed the last time 
that uh, I had an episode of depression was that through this campaign and through the the information and the education that I've been able to give myself, I knew what I could do to get things better. It wasn't a magic, it wasn't a switch where I could just say, all oh, right, I'm not depressed anymore, but it was knowing what things to access and the most important thing, which I say all the time to people who maybe come to me and say they're displaying these kind of signs, is the knowledge that it can get better and it does get better is the most important thing to have there. So for me, I use a lot of more of my experience now that I'm more comfortable talking about it and everything that I mention about things to spot in bad mental health, but then the, the, the good, the optimal, I do all of those things as well so I can say to people authentically, it works, it makes a big difference. Absolutely, and I think you, the fact that you're now opening up on a, on a larger scale to a big audience and, and sharing that you've been through it and that there's, there might still be a, an episode of depression in the future and, and you've had one in, since that sort of tough time, but I think that really gives a lot of power to the, the listeners and the people that you're educating that it is okay and things do get better and you're obviously getting on with your life as well. Yeah, because I think the thing that we get is some people might have, say, an instance of mental illness where it's a one-off in their life uh, related to a particular event and then they move out of that and they never have an interaction with it again. For myself, my diagnosis was around it being things that weren't related to events. Events could make it worse, but um, it'd be something which is more to do with the, the chemical makeup of my mind and all the science behind that. So I've learned to accept that it may well be at another point in my life I do encounter that illness, just like people who have things that they take tablets for the whole of their life, whether it be due to diabetes or something like that. So for me, it, it could have been off-putting thinking, oh, this could come again. But now it's a case of recognising that is something that I live with and it's something that I learn all the time to try and put things in practice. So if it does come back, uh, it doesn't come back as bad. Or, or if, it, if it is a bad episode, then I know I can deal with it and I can get out the other end. Excellent, excellent. And you're doing such a fantastic job with opening up, so good on you, mate. Um, now, you're, you've talked about sort of getting out of episodes of depression and, and doing things to help yourself that you've learnt about through opening up. You're big on gratitude. How did you first come across gratitude and, and what is gratitude? Yeah, I always, I said like we had that in the last couple of nights, these sessions, that I was just gutted I didn't know about this before. It's such a liberating concept. I came across this through uh, the Resilience Project, which uh, comes out of Melbourne in Australia. And uh, Hugh, the guy who runs that, did a video where he was explaining his experiences of being in a really deprived part of the world where he'd been visiting there. And he was just struck by the fact that as you know, the Western world often will have people going around looking like the, the world's about to end, looking really downbeat with all the things that you need around you and more. And then there were these poor kids who, were, who he was coming into contact with who had nothing, no access to clean drinking water within miles, no food, very limited education, but were running around with smiles on their faces. And that seemed to connect with him as something that maybe we're getting it wrong and, and we should approach it differently. So really simply, the process of gratitude in the way that it's explained there and, and how other people practice it is to, to take some time in your day to reflect on what you are grateful for. And that would typically be perhaps first thing in the morning or last thing at night, writing down three things that you're grateful for. And that could be something very base, such as you've got your health or you've got your family or so on, or it might be something very particular that you've experienced that day. I tend to, to, to do that alongside writing down three things that have gone well, either in the day before or in the day that's just gone. 
to be able to say, well, in actual fact, even though life's full of lots of challenges and difficulties, there's always things that you can come back to and say, that's gone well and that's something that I've achieved or that I have, which in a lot of these cases, the vast majority of the world won't have. And it's not about saying your situation um, is great and you can't moan, but it's just a little bit of reorienting to say, in actual fact, there's a lot of good here. Absolutely, and it's something that I practice almost daily whenever I can and whenever I'm, I should do it daily without any excuse, but when I'm traveling, maybe I'm not doing as much as I should, but my wife, Becca, and I, we, we both do it, and it does really have an impact on how you view the world. It really makes you re thankful and, and grateful for, for little things, such as having a blanket to sleep with or having cold running water whenever you want, because as you say, not all of the world has these things, and when you become grateful for them, it retrains your mind to to look out for those things. And that there's some science behind that. Yeah, well, I found out through the Resilience Project, there was a, a study done by the University of Massachusetts which showed the impact of this process of gratitude. And they discovered that after 30 days of following a, a method that we've spoken about, your mind starts to scan for the positive. And then around about a month and a half, that becomes embedded. And from that point, you're really having to try and break that cycle and why, after starting to see the world more positively and, and, and be grateful more, would someone want to break that? So the science proves it. And when we're at sessions saying to people, you've got to give it a go, it sounds like you're trying to sell them something. Well, you are, but it's completely and utterly free. And it takes perhaps seconds or minutes a day. And it has a lasting impact yeah. on your life. Um, now, another sort of technique, I suppose, for your mental well-being is practicing mindfulness and meditation. Um, how do you how do you practice mindfulness meditation? Yeah, it's a tough place to start because a lot of the the talk about say meditation as a term has a lot of misconceptions around it, and people would have a stereotype of who they think practices it. But when we move more towards talking of mindfulness, it's really the process of training your attention muscle. Um, and we were chatting the other day about how different sports might use a term in a different way, saying helping you get in the zone, and people might buy into that a bit more but it's again very simple this is something where you can have it a guided meditation where you might use an app I use smiling mind but there's headspace there's plenty across the different platforms and this will be a few minutes a day where you're focusing just on one thing and one thing alone where we might think that we can do that but with all the distractions in the world to actually put your focus just on one thing is a quite difficult skill and they'll do it through um, focusing on your breathing or in some more advanced ones it might be on just focusing on what you're eating or the sounds around you, the smells. And that performs two purposes. One is to be able to give yourself the chance to switch off from a busy world that's around you, kind of clear your mind and just look at one thing. But also from a performance perspective, whether that's cricket or the, somewhere else in your life, that's the potential then to practice just focus on one thing, whether it be the bowler coming in and you're facing up, or if you're at work and you've got a deadline to meet, rather than going on the social media and chatting to someone, actually saying, right, this 10 minutes, I've got to get on with that. So the process is guided through a, a, an app. I mean, as people get more into it, they'll often guide themselves in a meditation. But if you think of all the time that we can spend on our physical fitness, hours in a gym, running, uh, net sessions and so on, the gratitude, and the, the, the meditation can be something which is around 15 minutes a day. 
and you think instead of thinking why would I do it you've got Cristiano Ronaldo you've got Kobe Bryant you've got Justin Langer they're great sports people across the world who all swear by taking some time to meditate absolutely and it's something I wish I did from a young age and it's something out I now encourage my athletes to do um my mum used to say to me, I want you to meditate, I want you to meditate. And I had the stereotype of, no, that's for hippies. But if she or someone came to me and said, I want you to learn to focus your attention so you can get in the zone more often, I would have said, yeah, let me do it. But it was that that sort of thought of meditation isn't for me. But my wife, Becca, then got me into it. She, she did a meditation course and I, I did the same six-week course. And, and again, it just gave me such clarity and such a great feeling during and afterwards of calmness um, and it transferred into my cricket as well which I think from a performance point of view and a mental health point of view I think it has nothing but great upside. Let's take a break from Mark for a minute and go back to our last episode with New South Wales young gun Ryan Hackney. Do you have a mental routine or what, what's your sort of process ball in sort of pre-ball in between balls? Uh, yeah I've worked a bit with a psychologist in Sydney um, and he talks about having a routine and I guess a process. Um, so for me, it differs for everybody obviously, but for me, I like to um, firstly like play the ball and then kind of like step away from the wicket, um, actually like physically get off the pitch because um, he likes to call it your work site. So get off the pitch, like review the ball in your head, like what could I have done differently? What could I have done better? If I played that well, how well I played that? And then I guess kind of like look at something. Like for example, at the Wacker, they've got oh, signs around there saying hashtag made tough. So I just look at that or so something. So you pick something early in your innings and that would be your go-to or would it, would it just change? Just change, yeah. yeah. Just like look at something or... Yeah, just, day, just gaze into the... Look at the random guy in the grandstand. Like yeah. it's just changes... Um, and then um, when I'm ready or when the bowl is ready, step on the wicket and then it's time to switch on again. So yeah. Now let's get back to Mark. Now, um, going back to opening up and, and your organisation, which you now are doing full-time, you've just finished off your, your full-time job. Um, you, you travel around the UK at the moment giving talks and presentations about your message and your ideas to cricket clubs and what else does opening up do? Yeah, that's the principal focus and now that I, I've finished my old full-time job I'm certainly for this next year just throwing myself into this to see the amount of clubs I could reach in my spare time that should hopefully mushroom and be able to get to a lot more. So we do sessions with clubs where we'll talk about kind of the basics, the introduction to positive mental health, the things we've been talking about here. But we've also done some workshops for coaches where we do a more extended one to try and get coaches to think about how they could embed that well-being, particularly with younger players. So we're thinking, we wish we'd meditated when we were younger. If people are working with their young under 9s, under 11s, how can they embed those kind of things there? We've also started doing a little bit more around um, trying to overlap with performance so some of the things we've been doing uh, and we've had a couple of workshops where we've had some professional players talking about techniques that how they deal with things like stress dealing with failure the pressures the challenges so that amateur players can use that yeah of course in their game of cricket but also they can say in their own job or oh, that that kind of technique might be useful and we're really trying more and more with the time that's now available to get more of an online presence so that we can use those 
really powerful channels to, to reach out to people who might not be sat in front of us at a session so that they can get something from that, but then hopefully get themselves booked in for a session so we can do it face to face. Awesome, awesome. Now, you mentioned the session you did with some of the pros. You've been telling a story the last few nights while we've been presenting about one particular guy who's played 15 years of professional cricket and dealing with failure, accepting failure. Do you mind sharing that with yeah. our listeners and viewers? Absolutely. So we, we were talking a lot about the idea of failure and how cricket can be seen as a game that's based on failure. And Graham Fowler in his book said that as, as one of the main messages. And when we take that on face value, we think, oh, yeah, why do we bother? Why do we play it? When in actual fact, um, we've had a couple of, of players that we've come into contact and said, well, actually, they would regard... Um, if they were to regard themselves by the numbers, then they're a failure. So this guy's saying he's got about 25 first-class hundreds, but would judge a success on having scored 100. Now, over the course of a 10-15 year career, you've got plenty of innings in there, so if you're just saying those 24-25 knocks are the successes, then most of the time you're failing. Even if you drag that down to 50s, again, most of the time you're, in quotes, failing. So it's how to deal with that, and how to ride that, that kind of storm of thinking, well, I'm up here when I've scored 100, I'm down here when I've scored naught. And something you were saying the other day about the best players being level and realising that these things come and they go, but if you're doing the right thing in preparation, then you'll get the results. And as an overlap, we talk with groups about stress and strains and how to deal with that. And the big thing in dealing with stress, I think more than anything, is being able to develop an awareness that whatever's going on, it will pass. If it's good, it will pass. But if it's bad, it will as well. And you only really get that knowledge by being able to self-reflect through things like meditation and gratitude. But yeah, the example of the, of the pros who, who we've spoken to and saying, well, yeah, failure is a big part of the game. You can't push it away and hide from it. Even Virat Kohli or Joe Root have failures. So we've got to say, well, what do we use it? Are we just going to say, oh, that's something where I'm going to be gutted, I'm going to be devastated? Or do you learn from it? And do you say, right, I'll pick something from that or I accept it? part of life, part of the game, on to the next week. Absolutely. It's one of my big messages at the moment is that accepting and almost embracing failure and just realising it's part of the game. And if you can do that, you move on a lot quicker and it allows you to have success a lot sooner. Now, you mentioned self-reflection. What, is, what does that look like in a practical sense? And does that help people with their mental well-being? Yeah, it's really crucial. I'd say part of you can use this as part of that, that gratitude process in keeping a journal or a diary and the reflection can be on saying cricket uh, your game or your training session to work out what you think went well what you think didn't go so well but I think the crucial thing then is to build in what you're going to do perhaps next time what you can learn from it, what you can take from it um, and I'd say in sort of general life that self-reflection can be when you are struggling with things and maybe you're having anxieties about way things are going and a really useful tip and a tool to use there is if you are having this kind of worry and anxiety and and concern about things to self-reflect by writing down what it is that you're worried about and then being taking it from a rational perspective and, and challenging it so a common anxiety for people is that um, a social situation they've been and they think hasn't gone well and people are going to think they're an idiot so you could put that down and then the rational response would be, well, the other person or the other people in that, they've got other things going on in their life rather than just thinking about what you did. You know, you, you tripped over, dropped a cup of tea. Well, okay, they might have thought at the time that looked a bit daft, but they're certainly not spending the rest of their day going, oh, 
bloody drugs across this cup of tea. Of course they wouldn't. So trying to rationalise that and self-reflect can then balance it out and make people think, yeah, that they, they don't find everything so on top of them. But I would recommend to anyone to keep some form of diary. And again, the their perception in the past for me would have been the only people that keep diaries are teenage girls and they're writing about every fantasy and all of this kind of stuff. When actually, getting it out on paper, maybe reading it, is, is a fascinating experience because you can then look at it weeks later and think, what bothered me then, actually, what's come to pass, it wasn't something to worry about at all. And that could be in your game, thinking, we're playing this team at the weekend and I'm worried about this guy. Well, who knows? You can't control that. It could be that something out of your control happens that's good. The guy pulls up with a, with a, with a strain and doesn't actually bowl the guy you were worried about, or that guy does bowl, but in the game, you worrying during the week's not helping, you're actually dealing with it. So self-reflection, being honest, being authentic with yourself, it's difficult to expose your feelings to people. I mean, I've come to be able to do it simply because I thought from the very worst times, it, it, I, don't, I don't feel embarrassed talking about it because I know how bad it is when I haven't. But it's not for everyone to be able to do that um, necessarily. So writing it down and being self-reflective just one on, just with yourself is a really good way of getting some of those negative thoughts or some of those challenging thoughts out of your head and working out a way to deal positively. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, before we wrap up, you're off to Australia in September. Um, what does that trip hold for you? Yeah, a little bit of what we've been doing in the UK. So I'm going to various cities and, and, and hubs there to make contact with with some different clubs and organisations to hopefully have um, them get involved in our sessions, but also maybe leave something behind for people to, to pick up and, and expand there. But I think it's just a great opportunity to, to show people in on the other side of the world how we, we've approached things in the UK, but also being able to say it's exactly the same message. We speak the same language in two ways. We speak English and we also speak the language of cricket. So the message is really transferable. But for us, it's really exciting to be able to get out there and say, look, we've done this in the UK. We're screaming out to other people to say, if you can get on board with these kind of messages, because you'll undoubtedly improve as a cricketer, but perhaps, or definitely more importantly, you'll improve as a person. Excellent, and that's one of the things we're big on at Cricket Mentoring is helping people become better cricketers, but also helping people become better people and understand themselves a bit more. And we've done a couple of talks, a couple of presentations the last few nights here in the UK, and we're going to be partnering up again when you come to Australia and you're in Perth. So we're looking forward to that. Now, what else is coming up for opening up in the future? Um, yeah, we're looking to uh, to certainly keep this expansion going to reach all parts of the UK to build on the kind of sessions that we've had. But I think the, the, the big thing going forward would be for us to get the message more and more towards promoting that positive peak mental health. We spent a lot of time, quite rightly, on helping people identify the signs and the symptoms of declines. But what I've become really, really enthused and passionate about is giving people the tools to look after mental health positively. Because in this country, I'm sure it's the same in others, we have a very reactive approach to it. We wait until there's crisis, and then we try and deal with the, out, the fallout from that. And that costs governments a lot of money in medical assistance and care. But if we're able to educate people a bit more about what you can do to promote good mental health, then people, as they're doing that, can automatically recognise that there is that scale, and they look out for people a little bit more, and the conversation just moves past the bleak 
and we've broken the stigma to a large extent that needs to carry on but we're now really looking in the next phase to get people more people aware about things like gratitude meditation the importance of physical exercise journaling self-reflection and dozens of other things that people could do that are right for them but knowing that there's things out there to improve your mental health or fitness just like we know they're there for your physical yeah well and that's something we haven't spoken about is your physical health and physical training actually helps your mental health as well doesn't it yeah there's so many examples of the science as well as just the uh, the more soft touch things which physical health will help your mental health and that's not to say someone who's physically fit will automatically be mentally fit but if we're looking at the quickest route to being able to get a boost in mood or, or mental health and move towards optimal mental health it's through physical health through the attainment of it through the chemicals that are produced by your brain the serotonin that then floods through your body after that so that would be one which i'd say to anyone if they're wanting to say right well i want to get mentally fitter i want to get that side of my game sorted get get with your physical program more try and push that bit more exercise a bit more conditioning in there and you see the impact perhaps straight away after a session or oh, feel better you know then you can build that up with some of the other things that we've mentioned awesome now just as we look to wrap up the final three questions i ask all of my guests is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received um i've mentioned it a little bit earlier uh, and i can't i think it was a doctor who said it to me um and it's it's sort of a play on a, a George Harrison record where he said all things must pass, um, and that for me is a very powerful quote in saying that um, everything's only for a time. Now that's for your good to keep you grounded. That if things are going well, you know you're not a superstar, you're not a hero. If there's something that can come and bite you in the ass and take you back down, but also if things are going badly, that won't last forever. You come out the end of it. So. I'd say that, yeah, all things must pass. Awesome. Now, what's your definition of success? Yeah, that's a tough one. I've heard lots of people's responses to this and try, I was trying to think what I would say to it. But I think um, success is knowing in yourself that you've done your best. And there's some external things that you can be validated by. But if you're going home at the end of a game or, or whatever you do and you think that what you've done was the best you could, that's success for me. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more with that. Now finally, why do you play the game of cricket? Uh, I play the game of cricket because it's a, a team sport that gives you the, the, the chess-like element of the tactics as well as the chance to do things individually. I mean, people shy from that, but it's great if you pick up a five for or get some runs, but also you can you can really celebrate the achievements of others. But um, it's the, the best sport the best game probably the best thing on the planet for me so uh, i play it for a mixture of things but it's because even when you lose you can get something out of it a talking point something to use for development absolutely now marcus has been absolutely fascinating thanks so much for your time how can people follow you and, and sort of get behind opening up yeah um you can we're on instagram at opening up cricket we're also on twitter at opening up cc or you can get us on the website, which is openingupcricket.com. Awesome, Mark. Thank you so Cheers. much for your time. Well, legends, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Mark. Mental health is a huge issue in our society, and Mark and his team are doing great things to educate cricketers all over the world about everything relating to mental illness and suicide prevention. Mental illness is a huge issue in our society, and Mark and his team are doing great things to help educate cricketers all over the world about everything relating to mental illness and suicide prevention. 
Personally, I'm fortunate to have not suffered with a mental illness thus far in my life, but I know a lot of people close to me who have and have seen firsthand how challenging it is. One person lost to suicide is one person too many, so it's crucial that the cricket community continues to spread the message that it ain't weak to speak. If you have a mental illness or are feeling low, then speak to someone. If you have someone tell you they are feeling, then be a good listener and don't judge them. Thanks a lot to Mark for sharing his story and opening up with us at the Cricket Mentoring Community. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something, then please share it with your friends and on your social media pages. Remember to tag me at Skulls5 as I'd love to hear your thoughts. Also, make sure you check out Opening Up on social media at Opening Up Cricket on Instagram and Facebook or head to their website www.openingupcricket.com for more information and resources. We've also put the video of this chat on our YouTube channel, Cricket Mentoring, so head over there if you want to watch it, and please subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. Thanks for spending your time with me for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, learned something from it, and can implement some of the things Mark spoke about into your own life. Now it's time to go out and get it done, legends.